Do you want to impact the world and still turn a profit? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to Growth Everywhere. This is the show where you'll find real conversations with real entrepreneurs. They'll share everything from their biggest struggle to the exact strategies they use on a daily basis. So if you're ready for a value-packed interview, listen on. Here's your host, Eric Sue. If you're interested in growing your revenues online and you're tired of ho-hum agency work, then it might be time to check out Single Grain. Single Grain is a digital marketing agency ran by yours truly that has helped venture-backed startups to Fortune 500 companies grow their revenues online. Check out Single Grain at www.singlegrain.com grow to get a free resource on eight marketing campaigns that we've used to help companies grow their revenues online, including the one that drove over 1,500% return on investment. Hi everyone, welcome to this week's edition of Growth Everywhere where we interview entrepreneurs and bring you business and personal growth tips. Today we have Michael Michalowicz who is the author of Profit First. Michael, how are you doing today? Good, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. So yeah, why don't we talk a little bit about your background first and then uh, we'll continue on the conversation. Yeah, yeah. So I know you mentioned off air that you have some EOers watching. Um, I'm EO. Actually, I consider myself YEO. I'm back 15 years now. Uh, I'm still a, a member. Uh, Just so you know, everyone knows, uh, EO is Entrepreneurs Organization. Right. Yeah. And why EO was Young Entrepreneurs Organization until guys like me turned 40 and then we're <laughs> like, uh, we got to drop the Y. So uh, I grew a couple companies as an EO member, sold one uh, private equity, sold one to a Fortune 500. But I, I think the interesting part of my entrepreneurial journey was actually losing my money. After I sold my second company, I can't even know the word, but I was a dick. I mean, I was a total dick. I, I was full of myself. I'm like, I'm Mr. Successful. I know all the answers to entrepreneurship. And then started investing, a.k.a. wasting money. I became an angel investor. I call myself, I think I told you this, the angel of death because I sucked. I just <laughs> lost, lost. And it was during this collapse that I realized uh, the principles I thought w- were foundational for entrepreneurial success are not the right principles. One of them, perhaps the most important, I thought profit was an event that you know you have to have that big sale, you have to have that big investor, you have to have that big moment to make profit. And I found that profit is not an event. Profit is a habit that needs to be baked into our business, that every single day, every transaction, what we're doing right now is inching us toward profit and, and resulting in profit every single time. And see series of small wins that results in the massive profit win. So that's my background. And, and now I'm out kind of teaching these contrary principles. Got it. Cool. So yeah, let's. I guess let's talk about the book itself, Profit First. You know, I've read the book. You know, obviously, you know, you spoke last week at an event, and you know, everyone crowded around to get free books after. So you know, what's the book all about? Yeah. So I, I don't know if you can see. I got a copy here. So that's Profit First. Um, just so you can look at it. I'm not plugging myself. Oh yes, I am. Yes, I am. Um, so Profit First. Basically, I challenge gap accounting, and uh, I have my Johnny Cochran saying that gap is crap. And here's what I found. The foundational principle for gap accounting, we all follow it. It's sales minus expenses equals profit. The problem or the flaw in that formula, it's logically correct. You know, the result is profit. The flaw is it doesn't match human behavior. And when we sell and then we subtract the expenses next, it is our behavior to use all of our sales to cover all of our expenses. And expenses continue to grow at a rate of sales. Most businesses are in business to pay expenses. And profit becomes an afterthought, a leftover, something we address at the year end, and we're surprised if there's a profit or not. 
that formula is flawed. And, and it's probably flawed because there's a behavioral theory called Parkinson's Law. And Parkinson's Law states this. As a supply increases, it's human behavior to expand our demand to meet that supply. If you and I were negotiating a contract, Eric, and you said, Mike, it'll take me a week to get the contract written for you, it'll take you a week. If you and I have the exact same conversation, the same people, the same conversation about the same thing, but you say it'll take four weeks, now it'll take you four weeks. Our demand for the supply of time expands. Well, this is true for time, but it's also true for money. So as our sales expand, gap has us increase our expenses. And that's why we never break into this extremely profitable uh, component. Usually, there's certain times that we, our sales just spike and we have some profit, but it's not sustainable. So in, this, in Profit First, I explain how we actually need to change the formula. Sales minus profit, take your profit first. Sales minus profit equals expenses. It's a simple change, but this is all you do. It's the pay yourself first mentality we've been told to do in our personal lives applied to business. Sell as aggressively as you always can, just like you have in the past, but now subtract a predetermined percentage, 5, 10, 15, 20% of that money automatically gets allocated to a profit account. You take your profit first, you hide it away so the temptation's removed, and now the remainder is used for expenses. And what's shocking about this little flip is that our behavior adjusts to live off the remainder. And those expenses we justified in the past, we can't and don't justify anymore. We become more innovative. We find ways to do things that, and get the same results in ways that don't require as much money. And when businesses implement this simple little flip, Eric, it's, it's amazing how much you can change. Even I even work with public companies doing this now. It brings profitability to their business instantly and permanently if they stick with the system because it works now with human behavior. Got it. So let's say, you know, let's give you an example here. You know, let's say I'm a small business, you know, I'm having, you know, I'm having cash flow issues. I, I might even be in debt, you know, I might have been yeah. you know, taking that line of credit. I, I might be super strapped right now. So how do I get started using profit first? I can't, I can't imagine, you know, going it all out like immediately, right? Yeah. Yeah. So one key is if you have debt and a lot of people that I take on the system say, I can't, I can't have a profit until I get out of debt. The irony is this, the only way to get out of debt is to have a profit. You have to have more sales collecting up than expenses so you have a profit so you can pay back your debt. So if you have debt, this system is absolutely mandatory. You have to become profitable. The mistake though people do when they hear this system, like, oh, I love it. I'm going all in. You know, screw 15% profit. I'm going like 70% profit. I'm <laughs> rich. You know, you go overboard. And that's like taking a frozen mug out of the freezer and throwing it into a boiling hot oven. It, it will shatter and explode. It, it, that adjustment is too quick, too intense. Instead, I tell people, what, let's determine a target goal. I call it TAPS, a target allocation percentage. Maybe we want to target having a 10% profit off the top line. But let's start off with wherever we have been historically plus 1%. So maybe we've had no profits in the past. or We're running a 1% or 2 or 3% or 5% profit. By the way, if companies at 5% profitability historically, that's still considered a break-even business. So say we're at 5%. We're now going to add 1%, so 6%. And for the next quarter, the next 90 days, you take 6% of the top-line revenue, allocate it to a profit. Now, next quarter, we move it up to 7%, 8%, 9%, every single quarter. And this inches you forward. And what happens is as you increase your profitability, your expenses get compressed by that same 1%. Move it to profit, you reduce your expenses. And it gives us time to adjust. And it's a, it's a way to step toward these goals. And usually within four to eight quarters, one year to two years, companies that have implemented this are hitting their profit goals. They're, they're actual, perfect, idyllic profit goals. Nice. 
So can you give us an example of a profit first success story? Yeah, so I mean the obvious one for me is myself. So uh, true, true to all my books, when I figure something out or when I discover something new, I don't just write about it. First I experiment on myself. So I discovered profit first <clears throat> maybe six or seven years ago now and started doing it for myself. And I went through the bumps and bruises. Like it didn't work at first. For example, I was allocating money toward profit and then there would be a time where I couldn't pay my bills and I'd just borrow back my profit and that would defeat the whole system. So I found that when I allocate profit, I actually have to remove it and transfer it to a bank where I can't get easy access to it so I can't steal from myself and it forces me to be more disciplined with expenses. So I did this for myself. I, uh, it took me about a year to really start mastering it but the end result has been this. I'm an author today. Like Authors don't make money. You can't make money selling books. I make more income, but more importantly, far more profit than I have in any of my companies. And you know, I sold my second company. It was an EO company. It was when, I, when I sold it, it was on a $7.5 million run. We were three quarters into it, and we sold it to Robert Half International. You know, for an EO company, that's a, that's a nice win. My business doesn't do $7.5 million, not even close. But the income I take home and the profitability, it, it crushes my old companies. So even an author with a lame business that can't scale can do very well profit first. Subsequently, I've, I've implemented it. I know of about 1,000 plus companies that have done it. I personally have worked with maybe 20 of them. There's a manufacturer doing this in St. Louis. There's a public company here in New Jersey that's implemented it. They sell uh, goods to uh, uh, the Far Department of Defense. And all these businesses have increased their profitability. It's, it, 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 it works consistently as long as you stick with it. The, the big flaw, the big challenge is people start this and then they fall off the wagon very quickly. And of course, it doesn't work that. Got it. It's, it's because you know when you when you try to set a new habit and you try to go out and like you know trying to work out all of a sudden run run five miles when you never run. It just it doesn't work that way. Yeah, you know, for, it was an interesting study about running specifically. If someone wants to start running and has never run before, the first step is actually to stand while you watch TV as opposed to sitting. Move in a small step. Once you master standing, because that's so easy to do, it, you're lowering the bar. It's so easy to be successful. Mm -hmm. The next thing is to march in place for the next month just while watching TV. Now start walking in circles in the TV room while you're watching TV. Then you get outside. And if you move by just lower, raising the bar just by inches, it's so easy to jump over each time. The chances for success increase dramatically. Got it. Perfect. So, you know, we talked a little bit about, you know, before we started, you talked a little bit about uh, profit first professionals. You know, what's that all about? Yeah. So, Here's one thing I anticipated, uh, thank God, was that as people were doing this, I found when I fell off the wagon and started borrowing for my profit, when I, when I broke my own system, the person that was holding me most accountable was my accountant. He would call me and say, man, you had a great profit last quarter. Now you're slipping. What the hell's going on, Mike? Well, I told him about profit first. He's like, I'm going to talk with you once a month, and we're going to make sure you're sticking with this program because it, it's working for you. But you just keep falling off the wagon. So I was like, ah. I got to start a group of accountants and bookkeepers and business coaches that will help people stay accountable. So I started a certification organization called Profit First Professionals. We now have 40 plus accountants throughout the U.S. and growing, and actually now some internationally, that are helping businesses implement Profit First because there's some nuances to it and then stick with it. So my offer is if anyone listening in wants to try Profit First, I'll gladly you know, reach out to me or reach out to go to ProfitFirstProfessionals.com. 
gladly make an introduction to an accountant or bookkeeper that knows profit first and kind of help you guide guide you through this process. Perfect. And we'll put that in the notes as well. And just so everyone knows as well, you know, uh, michaelmichalowicz.com, that will also be in the notes and tons of great resources there that are absolutely free. So that, that's a must check out if everyone's interested in this stuff. Um, okay. So, you know, we talked a little about, uh, a little bit about EO entrepreneurs organization, which you and I are both members of, you know, what, what, are, what are the kind of the main benefits you've, you've gotten from it? Oh my God, like EO helped me start businesses, sell businesses, navigate lawsuits, uh, hire employees, fire employees, uh, marital issues. Like, you know, how do you be, how does my wife stay married to a guy that's as weird and crazy as this, constantly doing new things? And how do I navigate that relationship? I am probably one of the biggest, well, I think you, maybe you are too. I am just such a proponent for EO because it gives you an outlet of other weirdos just like us. Mm-hmm. Like, my friends never. Get, they don't get this. You start a business, they think you're a millionaire and that you, you, you're on some beach sipping margaritas when you're working your ass off. Yep. So it's a great enclave of people who get you, who are part of you, um, and can support you and can see the, tree, the trees from the forest or see the forest from the trees. I, I, one thing I love about EO is that in Forum, that's the mastermind group, that the people you're associated with aren't your friends. You're not in the same social circles. And so there's no competitiveness. There's no like, I better be better than you because we're hanging out the same people. You're non-competitive. You're very supportive. And they, since they have no emotional attachment to your business, when it comes to discussing challenges in your business, they can be brutally honest with you because they have no emotion associated with it. it it's great feedback. Great organization. It's probably the best I've ever been in like that. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. You know, it's it's once once you get into something like form, it's it's like your own board of directors, but it's also like a therapy yeah. group too. It's these people yeah. are, you know, they're they're telling you things that you wouldn't have spotted on your own, and it's just that that experience itself, you know, pays for the membership over many times. Totally, it yeah. ain't cheap to join. It ain't cheap, but it's worth it. Yeah, totally. Um, so you know, I've seen you do a lot of speaking. You know, I saw you at an EO conference in Vegas a few weeks ago, and then last week you came out of nowhere at a QuickBooks, QuickBooks. conference. Yeah, a QuickBooks conference. I was like, what? And so you know, can you talk a little bit about you know, you know, how did you get involved in speaking, and how is that helping you today? Yeah. So uh, after doing my entrepreneurial things, I uh, I decided I'm going to write books. Actually, I, I went through a period of depression. After I sold my second company, things were great, money was flowing, but then I become this jackass, wasting money, making dumb decisions. I went through depression, but it was a good period in regards to I got clear that money isn't the only thing that defines us. It's, it's, it's a necessary tool. It's, it's, you've got to be profitable to sustain, and I wish wealth for everybody because it, it gives you freedom. But I also realized that compromising who I was just to make money is not a good compromise to make. So I decided I've got to commit to what I love. And what I love is, is the nuances of entrepreneurship, the untold stories. And I'm like, I, I'm going to become an author. And, and People were like, are you freaking crazy, dude? Like, you know how hard that is and, and how lame that is? <laughs> I'm like, really? So I committed to becoming an author, and um, I got my first speaking event. I had a blast speaking. I decided to do another, decided to do another, and then uh, I started getting paid for it. And I was like, oh, my God, people will pay you to talk? That's amazing. And, uh, and that kind of kicked it off. And I've had the privilege of speaking with maybe 15, 20 EO chapters now. Uh, I love EO. But on a bigger platform, it's events like QuickBooks and even bigger events where I'm the keynote, where there's like two or 3,000 people in the audience. And what I love about it is the fact that within one hour, you can impact all these people and give them an insight they've never had before. And I recognize not everyone will take action on it, but some people will. 
is the ultimate form of impact. Uh, the only thing greater maybe would be having a television show. But I got, <laughs> I got two parts, right? I got books and speaking and uh, maybe TV one day. Well, baby steps, right? Like we talked baby about steps. earlier. Yep. Yeah. Uh, it, so it's, it's really interesting. You know, when you're talking with these different audiences, you know, obviously you have your, your quote unquote, your, your pitch. But do you find that you have to, you have to tailor it to specific audiences? Sometimes you make any specific adjustments? Oh, totally. Right. So, uh, you know, I learned a big lesson when I was in Jamaica. I was presenting. So I used to F-bomb occasionally when I was when I'm in front of U.S. audiences, and they love it. Like, there are certain things where you can just F-bomb something, and it sounds just really funny. Mm-hmm. I was in Jamaica, and Jamaica is a loose kind. You know, drugs are kind of all over the place and stuff. Like, oh, it's Jamaica. I F-bombed, and the whole place went silent. This is in front of a 1,000 people. The whole place went silent. I was, it was going really well, and I F-bombed. And they said, you know how offensive that is in the Jamaican culture? I'm like, I had no idea. So I've come to appreciate how important it is to realize and understand cultural differences. And this is between even demographics here, young audiences and older audiences, professions like accountants act differently than um, athletic uh, workout kind of facilities. And I've presented to both. And it's different in international cultures. So I do modify now and I'm acutely aware of those nuances. And if in doubt, I leave out, I leave something out. Like if, it, if I think it may not work out or it would work with one type of audience but may not work with another, in those cases I decide to just leave it all out altogether because it could flop. Yeah, you know, I noticed that you, you, between the EO event and the QuickBooks event, you kind of alternated jokes and you had different jokes. There's really like subtle things that you do. Yeah, so you know, EO will get jokes around money. So an EO member, if I say, oh, I'm doing 1.3, but in EO talk, that's really 800000 in revenue. Mm-hmm. Like an EO will get that, the bravado of, of, of money. Yeah. If I presented that QuickBooks, which is mostly accountants and stuff, and I said, hey, I'm doing 1.3, which is really 800, the, the accountant will say, if I look at the GL and uh, I look at the income statement, you are doing 800. Like That joke would just go whoosh, right yeah. over their head. So you got to present on something different. So... I'm becoming more and more aware of that and how to position things. Cool. Great. So I want to backtrack a little bit. You know, there's something that's, that, that's hardly talked about, and, and it's depression. And I've seen a lot of different, you know, venture capitalists and entrepreneurs talk about it, but it's something yeah. that I haven't really experienced a lot yet, oh. and I know it will probably come at some point. So, well, you know, what is it like to deal with that? You know, what, what did you have to go through exactly? Yeah, it was, it was mild. So um, my father, unfortunately, uh, uh, has had challenges with anxiety attacks. So I've seen much, much, much more severe uh, symptoms than I ever experienced. But there's different levels of depression. It's on a spectrum. I had the very low, mild stage, often called functional depression, which simply means the thoughts through your mind are, are negative and suppressive, but it doesn't, it doesn't affect your functionality. So I continued to work. I, I, I worked every single day and kept driving forward. More extreme depression is it immobilizes you. This is when you stay in a dark room and, and you just don't want to even interact with the world. I didn't experience that. But functional depression means I remove myself from any kind of social things. I wouldn't do it, any social functions. I'd avoid hanging with friends. Some people are like, what happened to you? You just, you just disappeared. I, I was embarrassed about what I've done to myself and how much of a failure I was. Um, and, and my thoughts were all negative, so it was hard to concentrate. I'd be working. I'm like, God, I'm such a freaking loser, man. Like, what am I even doing on this planet? And, um, yeah, you even consider maybe, you know, harming yourself and wrapping things up. I, I did at certain points. So, you know, I, I'm pretty much effing useless. And um, so th- there's all different degrees of it. Th- th- at the end of the day, I couldn't drive forward until I navigated that period. Um, I wasn't any fun to be with. 
Um, I, it, it was the difficult on my relationship with my wife. Uh, she called me the black cloud, and I get it. And, and very argumentative and confrontational. It was just an ugly period, but at least I found an outlet and then started getting through that. I, I hope I never go through that again, but at least I know what it's like. Got it. And what was that outlet again? I, becoming an author. Okay, got Sorry. it. So what I did, and actually I have it here, is my, I started journaling. And I, this is... Is this reason this is black taped? It used to say successes or like my list of successes. And what I was doing in this thing was I was just writing down all these different achievements that I had in my life so I could look at it. But it was like this super uber positive thing. Well, one of my EO forum mates, when I was going through this, he said, Are you journaling? And I go, What do you mean? He goes, Just writing down the challenges you're facing. I'm like, No, why would you do that? He's like, This is your outlet. This is your therapy. You can talk to someone. So I'm not going to read this, but. It's all my negative feelings I was documenting here. And actually, I don't even reflect it on it. I never even really look at it. But what happened was I, was a, I gave myself an outlet. And I'm just writing, this sucks, this is miserable, nasty stuff. But I felt a release just by writing it. And um, this was potentially the most important tool for me um, in, in navigating it. And I encourage anyone that's, that's experiencing anxiety, even a difficult day, write it out not to review it, not to ever look at it, and you can burn it, but at least it's an outlet. You're sharing it. You're releasing it from your mind. Got it. So is that, that's so, correct me if I'm wrong, that's done on an as-needed basis, right? Yeah, as-needed. It's funny. Like, I can tell good times when I haven't written in here in a while. So my last entry is from 2013, so I, I must have been a good run. But sometimes I just make notes just for the fun of it, and I'll write something down that's exciting. But usually now, this is just an outlet for stuff I need to get out of my mind. Perfect. Cool. So, you know, you've grown multiple businesses. I mean, you know, what, what, what's one similar struggle you've seen across, like, you know, the, these uh, multiple businesses? What, what's, like, the one constant? The one constant is lack, my lack of focus, and so that becomes a challenge. It's very easy for me to jump into new things because I get excited about it, and I find the most success in when I can – I got to do what I'm good at. So if I got to sit behind a computer all day and never speak again and not – uh, be on the stage, I, I'm going to suck. Like, I, I got to be doing what I'm doing. Um, but conversely, I got to make sure that that's feeding the next step and that everything's in alignment. So over the last few months in particular, I noticed there's the trend again. I'm spreading out too, too wide. I've lopped off lots of things and I'm focusing on just speaking in exposure and make sure it's funneling into Profit First Professionals, that organization we started. And Profit First Professionals is... It's actually the fastest growth rate I've experienced in any of my businesses. Uh, and part of it, I mean, there's many reasons, but part of it is I'm, I'm filtering out some of those distractions uh, that I've been bringing about. Got it. So, you know, the, the focus mainly right now is uh, it's, it's more or less, you know, branding and getting the word out about profit first, right? Exactly. So there, there's two components. One is encouraging uh, entrepreneurs to, to realize there's another outlet for you. It's your accountant and bookkeeper, and they can help drive profitability. Our business specifically, we are certifying accountants and bookkeepers. So, and we're being very selective, kind of like EO membership. Like you can't just join; you have to qualify. Mm-hmm. So, we're we're, re, we're conta- contacting accountants, bookkeepers, and some business coaches now, and evaluating them and bringing them into the organization, certifying them in the process, and then giving them all the lead flow. Got it. Okay. So, you know, changing gears a little bit, uh, talking a little bit about the book. You know, what, what's one big struggle you faced? while, you know, getting the word out for, for Profit First, you know, this is before all the speaking stuff. Well, you know, Profit First is my third book. So I wrote mm-hmm. another book, The Pumpkin Plan, and Toy mm-hmm. Paper Entrepreneur. Uh, the, uh, my first book came out 
six years ago now, and there that was the biggest challenge. I, I'll never forget the first day I released Toy Paper Entrepreneurs on Amazon. I sold zero books, which it was just to have clarity what zero books means. It means my own mother didn't buy a book that day. Like, <laughs> it, was a, it was a miserable, miserable day. And so I realized the hustle that's necessary uh, in speaking, in enabling other people to spread the word, in, in finding your raving fans or certain readers that it just connected with and empowering them to tell other people. So then when I came out with my next book, The Pumpkin Plan, which was, it took me three more years to get that book out, that one hit the market much better, came out with a much stronger launch, and that spread the word. And both books kicked up. When Profit First came out, it was my best launch yet. Um, and, and books have, were just moving, and all the books jumped up. So it still requires tons of speaking. Uh, it, it, sharing, one of the key things I found, too, is share everything in the book to the point where people don't need to buy the book, which sounds self-defeating. But what it does is gives people confidence that the, there's good content in there, and they'll buy the book as a refresher, as a reminder. Sometimes even just as a souvenir. You saw that speaking event. 300 people took a book. Now, that was, they were purchased, not by those people, but by the uh, sponsor of the event. So they were all purchased books. But I recognize the vast majority of those people may not ever read the book. I, I told them everything at the, the speech. They wrote down the notes. But it may serve as a souvenir. It may sit on their desk or on their over there's my bookshelf, and they may refer to it in the future, and it's just the trigger they need to remember the book. So there's lots of things you need to do, I need to do, to keep the momentum growing, but th that's kind of how I've been doing it. Got it. Okay, yeah, yeah you know, what the, one, friend, one thing my friend said, uh, I think it was yesterday, actually, you know, pe people will pay for, for convenience, and people just want to ultimately pay you back, too, for everything you've given away, given away for free, so I think that strategy certainly works. Yeah, it's called reciprocity, right? Yeah. I mean, if, I, if I send you a card this Christmas... Uh, and you get one, you're like, oh, gosh. <laughs> and you'll feel obligated to some degree to respond. Maybe send me a note or send me a card back. If, if you get knowledge from me, the natural form of reciprocity is to be more committed to that relationship. So there's certain authors I love. Malcolm Gladwell, I, you know, anything he does, I, I will go out of my way to support Malcolm Gladwell. I will buy books uh, just because I, I want to contribute to what he's contributed to me, all the knowledge he's just departed. And, he, you know, and he's never met me. He probably never will. He has no idea who I am. But I am a huge, raving supporter of his and will do anything to support him. You never know. Michael Gladwell was at an EO event last year, so he might meet him. Oh, was he really? Yeah, he I was. missed him. I missed him. you got to come to L.A. Um, yeah, but, okay, great. So, you know, what, um, what's one piece of advice you'd give to your 25-year-old self? Um, well, it would be focus, right? Pick the category, focus. It, when I started my first business, I was 23. It was in computer networks, and we were trying to install computers for everybody and their mother. I don't care what kind of client you were. If I simply focused on one type of customer niche, which took me about five years to figure that one out, if I started that when I was 25, my business would have gone along a lot faster. Got it. Okay, cool. That's, that's simple enough, and that's something I, I think I even need to take to heart. Um, it's, it's, it's really easy to lose focus, especially when you're oh. a little younger, too. Um, who is your idol and why? Um, it may be, you know, I would usually I'd say Michael Gerber because of Emeth. Uh, I've met him. I know him well. So I consider him actually more of a friend than an idol now. I wonder if it's George Washington. And I'm, the reason I'm looking over here, maybe you can see this one. Mm -hmm. I have these different pictures going across my wall of different sayings I've heard from people. And, uh, George Washington just impresses the heck out of me because here's a guy who gives freedom to the United States of America is then approached by, his, by the population says, 
hey, we want you to be king, George. We want to give you all the power. And he had the humbleness and the discipline to say, that's the worst move on behalf of our country. I do not want the power. We have to spread it out. We have to protect ourselves from this ever happening. So here's a guy who's given the king the keys to the kingdom and had the wherewithal and the courage to overcome his own ego and say, that's not the best for our country. That's the ultimate in humbleness. That's the ultimate in contribution. I, I aspire to have one one-hundredth of me to be as noble and as humble as George Washington. What an amazing human he was. Wow. It sounds like you might have read some kind of biography around this. Is there a biography? Oh, yeah. You, there's tons of biographies. Yeah, I read his literature, his letters to Martha's, Martha Washington. Yeah, he, he just an amazing guy. His saying up here, and he's just smart as hell. One of his sayings, and this has been my experience too, this is very specific, but he says, my observation is that whenever one person is found adequate to the discharge of a duty, it is worse executed by two persons and scarcely done at all by three or more. Now, I've experienced this in my business too. When I tell two people to form a coalition to take care of something, it doesn't get done. There's finger pointing. If I, ask, if I assign a team to do something, it never gets done. When I assign one person to do one thing, that's the accountable person, and they make sure it gets done. It, you know, it, there's tons of wisdom from guys like him that is eternal. It, it was true in the 1700s. It's true now in the 2000s. Okay. And what biography would you recommend to the audience uh, around George Washington? I love biographies personally. Oh, you know, I watch all the things on TV, so I, I watch the biography channel. That, that's where, I, you know, it's funny. I should read more biographies. I read every business book on this planet. George Washington's mostly been television, so just watch TV. <laughs> biography <laughs> channel. Biography channel. All right, great. What's one productivity hack you can share with the audience? Oh, dude, keep throwing it at me. Here it is. This is my productivity hack. This is my to-do list. And uh, I found that most to-do lists suck, so I invented my own. What I do is as tasks come up, I write them down. But here's the hack. If you can see next to it, I have different symbols, a smiley face, an infinity sign. I think there's a dollar sign up there. They represent different things. If it has a dollar sign next to it, it means this activity will generate revenue for me, for mm -hmm. my company, in the next 30 days. If it's a smiley face, it means it's a client. If it's an infinity sign, it means it's a system. Now, sometimes, and you can see across this one out here, sometimes it's two symbols, a dollar sign and a smiley face. That means I'm going to make money in the next 30 days, and it takes care of a client. So I prioritize based upon that. The more symbols it has, the more important it is. And that's why it's crossed out. I did that task first. The next task up here is there's a sponsor relationship. It's closest to the money. I'm going to take care of that task next, and then I have different, um, different things I'm going to do. The interesting thing is most of the ideas and things I need to do have no symbols at all. Those are put off to the very end, and I find that 80% of the stuff I need to do, there's no benefit, and I really don't need to do them. Got so what percent, you know, each day you have this list, what percent are you completing in, in, like on an average basis? Um, maybe two or three major tasks a day. Um, this is an ongoing list. Like this list, I'll keep building and building. This has been the last week, and I'll keep compiling until it's all here. Then at the end of the week, I go through and refresh everything. I remove stuff that I really don't need to do that, and I uh, I remove all the stuff that's been crossed out. But I, I'm by doing this, I'm getting two or three things done a day. And in the second I started doing this, I started this about three four years ago. My 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 revenue jumped. I mean appreciably. And the only thing was I simply reorganized things by dollar amounts and smiley faces as opposed to due dates. It had that much of an impact. I'm actually thinking about writing a book about this. I already wrote an article for the Wall Street Journal that's been very popular about this. And now I'm thinking about writing a book about it. I think you should. 
Yeah. Well, thanks. <laughs> um, so can people, you know, I saw it's a profit first task management system or something like that. Is this downloadable yeah. on your blog? Yeah, yeah, it's downloadable on MikeMichalowitz.com. I actually, I talk about it in a chapter of Profit First. So I wrote about it in the, in, um, in the Wall Street Journal, been doing it for myself. And then I'm, when, when, here's a little trick to being an author. Many authors, I, I do it for sure, is I'll write little sections of my book that are really test platforms for future books. I'm seeing how many people respond to this and say, wow, that's been a game changer. So Profit First, I first mentioned six years ago in my first book, Toilet Paper Entrepreneur, so many people inquired about, I'm like, this has to be a book. Now I'm measuring how many people are responding to this Profit First task management system. And if I get enough inquiries, that means I should be writing a book about it to be determined right now. Okay, cool. Well, let's, let's hope you get more, uh, more inquiries around yeah. it. Um, so, you know, aside from Profit First, which I, everyone, it, it's an incredible book. I think it's a must read for any entrepreneur. Um, toilet Paper Entrepreneur and uh, what, was the, what was the other book? And the pumpkin plan. So the pumpkin plan. I got them here, so your viewers can see. But this is the the pumpkin plan. And wh what I did here is I studied pumpkin farmers, and I found there's a faction of pumpkin farmers that grow colossal pumpkins. De I, I, I reverse engineered their process and found that it applies to business. Colossal business growth follows the same principles as colossal pumpkin growth, ironically. And so I define that here. And then Toilet Paper Entrepreneur, this was my first book. Uh, it's about the ultimate bootstrapper's guide, I guess. Uh, how to get things done when you have no resources, no money, no even toilet paper. <laughs> Can you explain the pumpkin plan really quickly? Just yeah, so you so understand at a high level. So a pumpkin plan, there's basically five fundamental steps that colossal pumpkin farmers follow that ordinary farmers don't. For example, an ordinary farmer, when it comes to picking their seeds for their farm, will pick the cheapest seed they can get because they're in the quantity game. More seeds they spread around, the better. Colossal farmers pick a seed that can spawn colossal growth, so they're very selective. It matches the soil content, the climate, and so forth. Well, in businesses, most entrepreneurs find, uh, go for the cheap, easy, obvious things to do. Copy the competition. Look, look at my competitor's website and try to design one that's better. Uh, look at their customer service and try to do it better. We, we emulate and try to improve upon, which I found is the worst strategy. The, the strategy that colossal uh, entrepreneurs use is an intersection of a few things. It's the colossal seed, and it's the intersection of what makes the person, the owner themselves, distinct as a person and have the, the business become a platform for what makes them unique, have the uh, business be an amplification of who they are. A, a classic example is here's my like 1930s iPhone, but this is my iPhone, and you'll notice iPhones were button-free. There was one little button here, but that was it. Why is that significant? Steve Jobs, and you got to check this out, Steve Jobs had a phobia of buttons. Well, that phobia, instead of trying to compress it and ignore it, he exploited the fact that he was afraid of buttons and now made products that were buttonless and, as a result, blended technology with art and distinguished themselves. And, and there's other components, too. Um, and then there's four more steps, and I'm not going to go through them all, but basically I go step by step from going from seed to massive two-ton or one-ton pumpkin and explain how a business can start off with a small seed and grow explosively, organically, by the way, without funding or anything, just natural organic explosive growth by following these five principles. Got it. Okay, cool. So I, I think, first of all, everyone in the audience needs to buy all three books. Um, okay. <laughs> Please. So um, yeah, one more thing before I cover the last question. You know, um, that, that's iPhone 4 or 4S. 4S. So one thing I've, I've noticed, you know, my, my friend, his buddy, he makes millions of years. You know, he does really well. You know, you're, you're doing really well right now, too. You, you both have 4Ss. So what, what's the, you know, is, is there any reasoning behind that? For him, it's like, I want to, you know, 
he talks about himself being frugal and things like that. But what, is there That's a reason? exactly why I do it. That's exactly why I do it. My phone before the 4S was a flip phone, mm-hmm. and it li- literally had duct tape on it um, just to hold some parts that fell off. Uh, this phone has all the productivity I need and, and, and has lots of distractions on it too. The new 6 or the Android has even more distractions on it. I want a productivity tool, and I don't want to spend money that I don't need to spend. Uh, I learned a great principle from – I'm a co-owner now in a, a small manufacturing company. And the founder of that company taught me a lesson I'll never forget. He calls it the one-more-day principle. And what happened was I was visiting him in St. Louis where they're located. We were driving from the airport. He picked me up, and we're driving to his office, and we're driving by a Home Depot. And I actually mentioned this in my newest book. He said, um, you know, I need to pick up some electrical supplies. I said, oh, great. And then he goes ra- racing by Home Depot. I was like, oh, maybe, I don't know what happened there. Next day, we're going out to lunch. He says, oh, I need to pick up some electrical supplies. And I see the Home Depot, and he drives by. I go, Paul, why do you keep driving by? Do, let's pick him up. He goes, oh, I'm doing the one more day principle. He goes, I know I need something, but then I ask myself, can I get by one more day? And he goes, I find that by doing this, I often delay purchases three to six months and find out some of the purchases I was considering weren't necessary in the first place. And by doing this, he's increased the profitability tremendously in his business. Uh, you, you know, businesses die by a, cut, a thousand cuts. If I go upgrade this, why not upgrade that? Why not upgrade that? And I start losing my money. I'm trying to live... Hopefully, I am the one day principle, one more day principle in everything, uh, and and this is just one part of it. Cool, great. And I, I think that's a, that's a very valid reason. My my friend, you know, it's funny he <laughs> he has that phone, but at the same time, you know, he has all this lavish stuff going on. So <laughs> yeah, you got you got to be yeah consistent throughout. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, okay. Final question. What's besides your books? You know, what's one must read book for the audience? Um, I just finished Contagious. So I read about a book a week. Actually, I read two simultaneously, Contagious and Think Like a Freak. Mm-hmm. I read this past week. Uh, Contagious is amazing. Um, actually, I can see the book here because I just put it on my shelf, but I don't remember the author's name. Mm-hmm. But it talks about uh, – it basically takes the tipping point by Malcolm Gladwell and, and gives the how-to. Why do things tip and then start spreading out so aggressively and how to do it yourself? And so there's this cool – principles and kind of the psychology of marketing that gets stuff moving. It's a great add-on to the tipping point. Perfect. Love it. Um, so, you know, we'll put this in the show notes um, and all the other resources we talked about. But everyone, this is Michael Michalowicz of Profit First. Make sure you get the book um, or else I will come and to your house and knock on your door. Beat, beat their ass and you'll yeah. beat their ass. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, Mike, we definitely, I think, you know, there's a lot of other stuff to talk about. We'll wish to have you on the show sometime, sometime soon. But, you know, thanks for being on today. Love to come back. Eric, thanks for having me. All right. Take care. All right, cool, man. Um, so I'm going to have my assistant reach out to you, and we're going to get you a T-shirt. Um, she'll get your address and your size. Oh, cool, cool. I'll wear the next – yeah, I love it. <laughs> cool, man. Um, do you Are you able to offer any type of freebie to the audience, maybe like a book or anything, anything like that? Yeah, we can do – like, like I can do one giveaway of a book. Yeah, one giveaway so if, is good. If you want, uh, you just tell me the address, uh-huh. and I'll, I'll autograph. You know what, here? I'll give them the Michalowicz Library. Okay. So why don't we do one – I'll send one person all three books. Okay. Let's do that. Yeah. yeah, and I'll let you know when this goes live, but we promote this stuff pretty heavily, and then sometimes it just takes off. So you'll be in good company, though. Let's hope it takes off, my brother. Yeah. Um, great, man. So I will reach out, or my assistant will reach out, but um, you know, I'll, I'll see you at an EO event soon. Yeah, you totally will. You totally right. will. Eric, thanks for this, man. Take care. Bye. Take care, brother. Bye-bye. If you're interested in growing your revenues online and you're tired of ho-hum agency work, then it might be time to check out Single Grain. Single Grain is a digital marketing agency 
ran by yours truly that has helped venture-backed startups to Fortune 500 companies grow their revenues online. Check out Single Grain at www.singlegrain.com grow to get a free resource on eight marketing campaigns that we've used to help companies grow their revenues online, including the one that drove over 1,500% return on investment. Thanks for listening to this episode of Growth Everywhere. If you loved what you heard, be sure to head back to growtheverywhere.com for today's show notes and a ton of additional resources. But before you go, hit the subscribe button to avoid missing out on next week's value-packed interview. Enjoy the rest of your week and remember to take action and continue growing.